All right, sit down, please. Ezekiel chapter 33. Thank you for that reminder. Very, very well done. Ezekiel chapter 33, begin with verse 31. Ezekiel chapter 33, beginning with verse 31. God is speaking here to Ezekiel. And they come unto thee as the people cometh. And they sit before thee as my people. And thy, they hear thy words, but they will not do them. For with their mouth they show much love, but their heart goeth after their covetousness. And lo, thou art unto them as a very lovely song of one that hath a pleasant voice and can play well on an instrument. For they hear thy words, but they do them not. And when this cometh to pass, lo, it will come. Then shall they know that a prophet hath been among them. God, you know, you know I'd rather die than just go through the motions. And I don't want to preach your word without your spirit, without the conviction of the Holy Spirit. Please help us, God. In Jesus' name. The background of this story, it's a very dark day in the history of Israel. In 606 B.C., Nebuchadnezzar has sent his men into Israel. And has taken several thousand young men into captivity. He's taken from among the finest, the strongest, the best educated, the most elite. It's in this first phase of Babylonian captivity that Daniel is taken. That Hanani, Mishael, and Azariah are taken. It's in this first phase of Babylonian captivity that Ezekiel is taken. Ezekiel preached to these captive young men. The destruction of Jerusalem has not yet occurred. That takes place 20 years later in 586 B.C., but it's being prophesied. It's being prophesied by Jeremiah, who's left behind. It's being prophesied by Ezekiel, who's been taken. Well, Ezekiel obviously was an upstanding young man, or he wouldn't have been taken in this particular group. I, I think that Ezekiel was just a little bit, perhaps, of a dud. Let me, let me explain what I mean by that. I don't think that God chose him because of his eloquence. I don't think that God chose him because of his dynamic personality. I think God chose him because of his dedication. And I think of Ezekiel as one of the most dedicated of the prophets. 
In fact, the story in Ezekiel chapter 24 is almost overwhelming to me when we read about how he was to go out every single morning, every morning to go out and preach, every morning to go out and preach, every morning to go out and preach. And then the Bible says he went out in the morning and he preached. And at evening his wife died. And in the morning he got up and he did what the Lord had commanded him to do. He went back out and he preached some more. As dedicated as they come. Now I think Ezekiel was one of the finest preachers of the Old Testament. You say, wait a minute, you just, you just said he was a dud. Let me give you, it's just implication, okay? I admit it's subjective on my part, but the reason I think he may have been just a bit of a dud is I don't know anybody in all the Bible who received more instruction from God about how to preach than Ezekiel. Ezekiel had a heart for God. Ezekiel was dedicated to say whatever it was that God told him to say. Ezekiel was a good choice, but Ezekiel apparently he was one of those just a little bit stiff. Because if you want a good book on homiletics, read Ezekiel. You know, in all of the books, God's telling the men what to preach, but in Ezekiel, he's telling them how to preach it. And God himself, imagine, I mean, we have a great privilege here to have teachers who teach preaching, like Scott Gray, or like Chris Teft, or like Ken Scott. But imagine having God himself as your homiletics teacher. And that's what Ezekiel had. And Ezekiel listened carefully to the lessons that God taught him, and Ezekiel learned how to do it. And Ezekiel got good at it. But God told Ezekiel how to raise his voice. God taught Ezekiel how to sigh, how to cry, how to clap his hands together, how to smite his thighs, how to shake his body. I'm not kidding. God taught him all that. If you think that God is against dynamic preaching, read Ezekiel. He said, listen, I've told you what to say. Now let me tell you how to say it. And out of Ezekiel, God made a phenomenal preacher. But there was a problem. And I want to address that problem because I think it's so appropriate. I think it's so fitting. It draws such a parallel to our day. I considered calling this message the downside of dynamic delivery. But after further thought, I thought I'm going to ask this question instead. Are you hearing or are you forbearing? Are you hearing or are you forbearing? Now, because of the way we use the word forbear today, or even the way that the word forbear is used in the New Testament, we think of forbearance as putting up with. Yeah, you never forbear something you like. You only forbear something that you don't like. You know, forbearing one another is talking about putting up with those people that are very difficult to put up with. And that's forbearance as it's used in the New Testament. And that's forbearance often as we use it today. But if you look up this Hebrew word, and I had to look it up just like you did. I don't speak Hebrew. I think I can quote one and a half verses maybe. I don't speak Hebrew, but if you look up that Hebrew word, the Hebrew word here actually means flabby. I thought, what does flabby and forbearance have to do with each other? But that's the word. The word's flabby. It's used here in a figurative sense that people have taken in something that's good, like food, and they've taken it in so much that they become lethargic. That's the word. It's used twice in Ezekiel 2. It's used twice in Ezekiel 3. It's not necessarily that they don't like it. It's that they like it and they've taken it in and they've taken it in and they've taken it in and they've got used to it and they've gotten a little bit fat on it 
And they've gotten to the point where, oh, all right, we get to hear one more. I wonder how Ezekiel do today. I wonder if he'll raise his voice. I wonder if he'll cry. I wonder if he'll do that smiting his thigh thing. And I'd like to have seen that. See, he drew a crowd. And the Bible doesn't say that these people came and said terrible things about him. Now, it does say before this context that they wouldn't say things against him. That was behind his back. But they loved to come hear him. They would come out to hear him. They would come as a crowd. They would come as a people. The whole group would just show up. And every morning, Ezekiel would get up. And every morning, he'd go out to the street. And every morning, a large crowd would gather to hear him preach because he got very good at delivering God's message. He got good at it. But God said something to Ezekiel in Ezekiel chapter 2. He said something in Ezekiel chapter 3. He repeated it about four times. God isn't senile. When God repeats something, he repeats it on purpose. He said, Ezekiel, there's something I need to tell you about this group. You're going to preach to a group that are a rebellious house. He said, they're rebellious people. But I'm going to have you preach to them anyway, and I have a reason for it. And I'm going to tell you something, Ezekiel, whether they hear or whether they forbear, ultimately they will know that there's been a prophet among them. That there's been a man of God among them. Now that word here doesn't just mean, yeah, I, I heard it. I heard, I hear you. It's, it's like the word hearken. It's like the word obey. In fact, in many languages, the word hear and the word obedience are very closely linked. I know they are in German. I've been told they are in other languages as well. This word hear is hear and respond. Forbear is hear and do nothing with it. No activity. It's kind of flabby. It's kind of sit there. You take it in. You even enjoy it. And you even say loving things about the preacher. That was in the text. Oh, they come and they, they speak very loving things. Oh, Ezekiel. Oh, we sure enjoy, enjoy your preaching. He says, but then their heart just goes after their covetousness. They're still in church. They're still hearing sermons. They're still saying nice things about your sermons. But I have to tell you, they're rebellious people. And they're going to hear and not do. That's what he said. But Jesus talked about that. There's the wise man and the foolish man. We have this preconceived idea. I know the, the wise man is the man that goes to church. And the foolish man is the man that doesn't go to church. That's not what Jesus taught. Oh, no, 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 I, I, I know, I understand. Yeah, the wise man is the man that goes to a good church with a good preacher that's Bible-believing and fundamental and separated and holy, and the foolish man is the one that goes to a liberal compromising church. That's not what he said. He said, these two men hear these sayings of mine. They both went to hear preaching, and the preacher they went to hear was Jesus himself. But one man heard and did these things. He's like a wise man. Another man heard but didn't do. He's like a foolish man. He's built his house on the sand. And when the storm comes, the house is coming down. Whether they hear, that means they're going to listen and respond. Or whether they forbear, that means they're just going to listen and kind of tolerate what you preach. It's not so much Ezekiel that they enjoy hearing what you're saying. They just enjoy the way you say it. 
And so they put up with what you're saying in order to hear how you say it. And they come and they listen to you. And what you are, Ezekiel, is entertainment. Well, Brother Scott, at the end, I believe it was of a Sunday night message, he was trying to put in perspective this whole political mess in which we find ourselves in the economic mess. And it was a phenomenal message I wrote and told him, so I do often when he preaches. But a great perspective message. But one of the things I found found just a little interesting there at the end was he said, you know, vote. Yeah, maybe I'll vote. Maybe I won't, you know. I kind of just watch the debates because they're entertaining. And I thought when he said that, I thought about the heart of these people that put their life on the line that think the biggest thing in the world is this, this quest for the presidency of the highest office in the land and the things that I could do if I get that. I thought, what would happen in their heart if they knew the number of people that are watching them? It's it's entertainment. That's all it is. But that's what was happening here. They listened to him preach. They even liked his preaching. He had gotten good at preaching. He knew when to raise his voice. He knew the proper body gestures he'd become a dynamic preacher and they'd come they'd hear him and cheer him and go home unchanged they'd get up the next day and come and hear him and cheer him and get a little fatter and a little flabbier but the covetousness was still in their hearts they'd come they'd listen to the preaching they'd pay him a compliment they'd tell him how much they love him how wonderful he preaches and then they'd go right back to their same covetous ways that brought him into captivity in the first place and do you think it broke Ezekiel's heart when his wife died and the next day he had to get back up and go out and preach oh I've got to believe that Ezekiel 33 broke Ezekiel's heart even more than Ezekiel 24 you mean I get your message And I bring it to these people as the message of God. And I'm a man of God. That doesn't mean I'm any better than anybody. Or or I just, I belong to you. I I bring your message. I represent you. And what am I to them? Well, let me tell you, Ezekiel, what you are to them. Lo, thou art unto them as a very lovely song. One that hath a, a pleasant voice. And can play well on the instrument. You mean I get up every morning, having prayed late into the night and wept for a message from you, and you give me a message. And I go out. And I give the very words of God to a people. And all I am to them is one more hour of entertainment. I says, that's about it. They're a rebellious house. They hear and do not. Oh, they all come. They come out as a people. A great crowd comes out to hear you. And they even say loving things about you. But then they go right back after their covetousness again. They go back unmoved. They go back unchanged. 
the message of God that you not only deliver, but that you deliver very well is completely ignored. Uh, you know what you are, Ezekiel? You're a part of their pop culture. Oh, they've left their culture behind. They, they're in captivity. And there's, there's just a little bit of attraction to that Babylonian music. They've never heard anything like it. They, they've never heard, before heard the, the dulcimer and the, you know, the, uh, I'm sure they'd heard the psaltery and the harp, but here we've got all these other, all these other weird instruments. A little bit of attraction there, but, but so ingrained in them is this Jewish culture, and they know that this music is played to some other gods, and so they couldn't actually bring themselves to ever attend one of those Babylonian concerts, and they just don't get a lot of entertainment on their own. In fact, they've stopped singing altogether. They really don't feel right about singing these Babylonian songs. They kind of know better. And they'd rather sing the songs of Zion, but how can they sing the songs of Zion in a strange land? And so they're beginning to lose touch with their culture and the one connection to their culture. Hear it. And so they come to you because it reminds them of their culture. And they come to you because there's just a little bit of that euphoria, that feeling of being entertained, that feeling of, hey, this is good. This is the way it ought to be. That's the way it ought to sound. Well, that's the way you ought to preach. And then they leave. And they go right back to their covetous ways. Now I want to say, number one, that I am 100% for dynamic preaching. I believe it would be completely incongruous to preach about judgment and hell and be stiff and boring. That doesn't even make sense. To come and preach the truths of God and have no passion, to have no conviction, to just deliver it as if it was some lecture. I'm for dynamic preaching. I believe in it. I teach it. I read about a hundred books about it. I've written two. I'm for that. And God's for it. God taught him how to do it. But the downside to dynamic delivery is after a while we get so caught up in the superficial. So caught up in, well, did he do this just right? And how did he preach? And was he entertaining? And was he funny? And was he loud? And was he powerful? And was he dynamic? Hey, you want to learn dynamic preaching? You've come to the right place. Our founder was Brother Hiles. Listen to him preach. I don't know if I preach with more passion. And he brought in his friends like Lester Roloff and Lee Robertson and B.R. Lakin. And every time we'd hear those guys preach, John our eyes, our hearts would move within us. There was nothing dry. There was nothing dull. There was nothing boring. It was passionate. It was powerful. And then thank God that when he passed, the church didn't change from a, a, a preaching station to a contemporary service or some boring lecture. The Spanish pastor. The Spanish pastor of our church is what, maybe 30 years old, maybe your age or so? I was out witnessing. I was out knocking doors and soul winning. And I knocked on a door, and I started to invite some of the First Baptist Church to tell them all about it. And they said, oh, we know about First Baptist. We watch it on TV. I said, oh, you, you watch Brother Scott preach? They said, no, we watch Freddie DeAnda. I said, I didn't know he was on television. Oh, yeah, he's on television. They told me the channel and all that. And I said, well, you all speak English so well, I wouldn't have even guessed you speak Spanish. They said, we don't. But he is just so amazing to watch. Now, I'm telling you, when you've got a preacher that preaches so well, 
That people want to watch him even when they don't understand what he's saying. That's preaching. The president emeritus of Hiles Anderson College. He came here as a as a balanced man, as a well-educated man, as a dedicated man, as a brilliant man, but he wasn't a preacher. He says so. But he was humble enough to ask Brother Hiles to teach him to preach. And he's a dynamic preacher. We're for that here. We're for that here. Hey, don't misquote me. We're for dynamic preaching. Our president emeritus is a preacher. Our president, Ray Young, he's a preacher. These men up here, they're preachers. I love to hear Brother Scott. When Brother Ken Scott preaches, it's like a volcano. It starts out under the surface, and you know it's bubbling. And it just gets hotter and hotter and hotter, and then all of a sudden it just explodes. It's overwhelming. Dr. Scott Gray, he's worked for some of the best preachers on the planet. His dad, it's just, it's just inimitable. But if anybody can imitate Bob Gray, it's Scott Gray. He worked for Tony Hudson. And don't you, when you watch Brother Gray preach, don't you just a little while see, oh, there's Tony Hudson right there. Now tell me he looks anything like Tony Hudson. But he preaches, and you see a little of Bob Gray, and you see a little Tony Hudson, and you get a whole lot of Bible preaching, using the Gospels, using some miracle, and he applies it to your life, and we leave, and what do we say? Wow, that was amazing. I tell you, his, his impersonations were classic. Wow, his sense of humor is uncanny. That comedic timing. You know, Chris Teft, a walking thesaurus, speaks in trilogies of synonyms. And can take a whole sermon on one story about digging up a dead rabbit. And we all think it was good. And, and, and I, love, I love his preaching. And I love all of these guys. And Brother Hooker's preaching. I love the preaching that we have here. And, and the guest speakers that we have. My goodness. The alumni from this place. Brother Capace. the a preacher. The missionaries here. Louis Ramos preach. Larry Brown, he's not a graduate, but he's a frequent guest, a good friend of this ministry. That guy can preach. We're for that here. We're for that here. That's what we want to teach you while you're here. We had some guy, and I can't even remember his name. But he came in, and while he was preaching, he was doing cartwheels. What was his name? What? Randy Dignan. And I sat there, and I thought, man, I wish I could learn to do cartwheels. I guarantee you, I guarantee you the ambulance would have to be on its way before I got halfway through it. But I didn't sit there and think, oh, I'm not for that. I'm, I'm, I kind of like that dead, dry poke. I loved it. I loved every minute of it. The only thing that concerns me is that after a while, the style of preaching has become our, our pop culture. And you come at the 11 o'clock hour and rather than being the high hour of your spiritual existence, rather than be a time where you hear from heaven, rather than be a time where you're convicted of the Holy Spirit, you come in for one more entertaining session and I wonder how many jokes he'll tell this time. And then we sit down here and we sit in our pews and we critique the sermon. Boy, his, his premise was conceptually sound but his delivery was a little understated. You tell I teach homiletics. And four of you heard that. He said, very common after you preached. 
But I'm saying we sit here and we judge. We judge their style and their delivery, and God forbid that one guy come through who's a little calmer of nature. Because he's a little calmer of nature, we just sit there and consider ourselves to have wasted an hour because he didn't entertain us. When he opened the book of God, and he gave us the truth of God, a truth that could change our life, but we come in, we get fat, and we go out just as lethargic and just as fat and just as covetous as we ever were. Well, I want to tell you something this morning. I want to make it very clear. This young lady right over here, this young blonde, looks nothing like Sharon Osborne. And this young man right here looks nothing like Pierce Morgan. And there are not three X's up there for you to light up when you don't like what I'm saying. This place here, we're not talking about America's got talent. We're talking about the preaching of the Word of God. Has chapel become nothing more than a fundamental version of American Idol? He said, oh boy. Boy. Brother Chris Teft, he's my, he's my favorite preacher. Okay, what things? What things that come between you and the Savior? Where was the place that you got on your knees yesterday and said, oh God, I've let some things, some things get in the way. My own covetousness. Or did you just say, wow, that was fun. That's good preaching there. That's the way we like to hear it. That's our kind of preaching. Come to our office, preacher. Brother Bach and I, I'm leaving school, but before I went, I just wanted to come down and tell you, you were my favorite preacher. You know, don't, don't get me wrong. It means something to us, it does. See, you're leaving. Yeah, well, my, my girlfriend and I, we got in trouble. Is that, is that what I was preaching? I got caught with some R-rated movies in the dorms, and they're, they're expelling me. But I want you to know you were my favorite preacher. Is that, is that what I preached? I don't remember preaching about watching R-rated movies. If I mentioned them, it just might be that I mentioned them because I was against them. But boy, you like the way I said it. I picked up a book last night. It was written in the 1940s by a Southern Baptist preacher. You know, Southern Baptists, those compromisers. It was about why no Christian should ever attend the movie. For one thing, 35 cents was a huge waste of God's money, and that's what a ticket cost. That was one of the points. You'll, you'll pay $19.99 to rent a video sometimes. But for another thing, do you realize? I didn't realize it until I read it in the book. Many of those actors and actresses smoke cigarettes. That's what he said. Can you imagine that? The audacity. And what kind of example is that to our young people if we're bringing, bringing them before a group of people and they smoke cigarettes? No business. Any Christian has any business watching those, those people. Some group had done, some fam, pro-family group had done a survey, and they'd watched 100 movies, normal rating movies. And in 60 of them, a boy had touched a girl he wasn't married to. Touched. Touched. So our kids have no business watching that. Southern Baptists, the, the liberals, compromisers. 
There's nothing, nothing like us good, godly, separated, independent, fundamental. No, the, the liberals. He said in several of the movies that were surveyed, they had square dancing. I'm not kidding you. And he said in some they even had round dancing. Now, I have no idea. I'm sorry. But I honestly would not know a square dance from a round dance. But I know this Southern Baptist preacher was concerned that his young people might be exposed to a round dance. Say, well, I'll tell you what, our preachers preach hotter than they do. Yeah, but what do we live? What in God's name do we live? And the downside of the dynamic preaching we get so used to it. We get so wrapped up in the culture. We enjoy so much the way the preacher says it that we never listen to what the preacher says. Much less make any changes in our lives. The Bible that we never read has become a sacred collection of the signatures of our favorite stars whom we ignore. I sign Bibles. Please don't miss. I'm not against any of that. I love the applause before the preaching. It honors what God honors. It's, I'm for all of it. But if we become so superficial that that's all we have left, it's a good show. Oh, that was a good performance. That one guy did three cartwheels. Okay, what did he preach about? What did you change in your life? Nothing. I maybe shouldn't afford it. I'm for the cartwheels. Is that all you saw? Is that all this is? Are we nothing but your entertainment? Don't do that to us. Don't patronize us. And what's left for a preacher to do? What in our generation does a preacher have to do to get your attention? He raises his voice to what level? Whatever level I can reach, somebody else has already reached a greater decibel here. It won't shock you. He jumps across the platform. All right, I've, I've done that. We called it the Hiles Hop. He picked that up in his later years. Amazed me at 65, 70, he's hopping across the platform, kicking over microphone stands. That one got a little expensive. <laughs> So I do the hop. I've seen that before. So we try cartwheels. Not me. <laughs> These young guys. Then some of you say, Brother Bachman, I saw, I saw, I saw your tears. Well, that was moving. As if, as if my tears were a part of the show. As if those tears aren't just the few tears left that didn't escape our eyes while we prayed for you because you've heard all the good preaching and still watched the same thing in the dorms that you've always watched. My backslidden cousin, I'm almost, almost done, but my backslidden cousin, I was just a young preacher, and he showed up completely unexpected. He was in the Navy, and I hadn't seen him in years, and all of a sudden, he's on my doorstep. He'd had some leave, and he wanted to come see me. I said, I wish I could stay in fellowship with you, but I'm going to preach somewhere tonight. Rockford, Illinois. 
He said, hey, if you don't mind, I'll go with you. I said, come on. He hopped in the car. We drove to Rockford, Illinois. He grew up in a different church. I won't name the denomination, but a little more stoic. His daddy was a preacher. He was far from God. It was first service in our kind of church. And I remember, I shouldn't even tell this, but I'd, I'd just cracked my ribs in a church softball game, and I was wrapped tight with tape. It put a lot of pressure on my diaphragm, and I was really loud that night. And, and, I, and I was young. I mean, I remember one time I preached with Dr. Keene afterwards. He got up and he said, I want him to travel with me from now on. I'll preach. He can be my stuntman. And I was young. I was all over the platform. I was jumping up and down. I was spitting and hollering. I was screaming. I was having a good time. And we got in the car afterwards. And my cousin said, wow, he said, I've never seen anything like that before. That was, that was like a Michael Jackson concert. But he was still backslidden. Impressed by the entertainment value. Unimpressed by the Spirit of God and the conviction of the Holy Ghost as the words of God were coming forth. We have a young convert in our Sunday school class, and he was in church last night, and he's not my convert. One of the other men had led him to Christ, but but I got to take him home from church last night. And boy, he was talking about Brother Scott's message, of course, and asking me questions. And, uh, you know, if I go out and mow the lawn, do I have to wear a suit and tie? And no, no, no. You know, I'll explain this. And, and uh, but he just, you know, not arguing a thing, just getting it, you know, just I want to understand it. I want to grasp it. I want to get it all. And he, and he said some hilarious things last night. I said, you know, what, what do you want to do, do one day? What do you see yourself doing 10 years down the road? He said, well, I've been thinking a lot about that. He said, I, I've got it narrowed down. I said, I, I think either I want to be a missionary or a professional wrestler. Wow. But then he said this, and I'm going to close with this. He said, I wish there was some way I could afford to come to Bible college. He said, he said you don't understand. He said, I go to work, and I hear the bad music, and I hear the bad language. And he said, lots of you do that. Lots of you have to work. And he said, then I have to come home. And you know why you're at home? Same music. Same language. I said, boy, if I, could, if I could live in those dorms, I'd never have to hear that music. That music that he said, these are his words, that so aggravates my spirit. Because he got saved. If I could be in those dorms, I, I never had to hear the cussing. <laughs> Look, I didn't. I didn't have the heart to tell him that he'd come into some of our dormitories and hear the same music and the same cussing by men who have come here to be taught how to preach with a style that we all admire, but words we're prone to ignore. I never understood the dichotomy of it. Would you come Sunday night and hear Brother Scott and then go home and watch a movie that preaches the exact opposite of Brother Scott? And having read Ezekiel 33, I get it now. There's no dichotomy at all. It's all the same thing. 
came to church Sunday night, got entertained, and he went home and got entertained some more. Are there 10%, 20%, 30%, 40% of the students in this room that say for me, I want preaching to be more than just my entertainment. I want these guys on the platform to be my mentors, not just my entertainers. I want to listen not just to how they say what they say. I want to listen to what they say, and I want to change something in my life. Because I just don't want the spotlight in the platform. I want the success of the lives that they've led. I want the people instead of the things. I, I want souls. I want, a, I want a ministry. Good sermon from Bachman.